Fire Cider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun About It on org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, welcome to episode number 146. Yeah. All right, so we have a couple <laughs> of announcements, shout-outs, etc. So first of all, uh, Brewpiffity was this past Wednesday... That was insane. That was insanely awesome. Thank you, John Mallett and Bellsbury, for doing uh, things like this in the past and inspiring this event for us to hold here in New York City. Uh, we took about 17 and a half or 18 barrels worth of of, uh, of our Kelso IPA wort and doled it out to home brewers to homebrew at their house. Forty five gallons at a time. Five gallons at a time. And we gave the option of either or both. Uh, unhopped wort or hopped wort, and we gave out five, 43 uh, servings of unhopped wort and 64 servings of hopped wort, and we are really, really excited to see what people are going to brew with it, and we're going to have an event at the brewery at Kelso Brewing Company, 529 Waverly in... Uh, February 23rd? <laughs> on February 23rd uh, in Brooklyn, uh, and we invite everybody to come join us. We'll have more specifics on, on uh, how to join us later. And a huge thanks to Kelly and Sonia, owner of Kelso, who allowed this all to come about. And for all the guys at Kelso for brewing the beer, helping pour. I was a little worried, I'll admit. I wasn't, you know, I helped Chris a little bit, but he really organized this whole thing. And and wasn't sure how it was going to go, and it actually flowed very smoothly. And it was super cool. We had, I don't know, how many people were in in the tasting room. Well, there were probably about 115 people in attendance. Yeah. Uh, there were 84 different individual home brewers that, that collected wort. So 25 people got both hopped and unhopped. And so it was also Bitter and Esther's, they have a monthly bottle share on the same, the first Wednesday of every month. So they actually held their bottle share at Kelso. So everybody was sharing home brews and it was just cool. We met a lot of really interesting, cool people, saw a lot of old friends and I don't know, it's going to be fun to, uh, I took f- home five gallons, which leads what me you to my next it? topic. So this five gallons was the perfect excuse for me to get the the Anova sous vide stick that Chris got me for Christmas um, and put it into action. So I actually kettle soured. Um, Four of the gallons, I dosed one of the gallons with grain. I had some Vienna malt on hand, no Pilsner, which is what I usually use. And then I dosed the other three gallons individually with varying um, portions of fresh whey, which I strained from a yogurt that I made last Monday um, and with also with my sous vide sticks. So in order to do the kettle sour, you basically divide it. You, you have the water bath. You have your fermenters. Yep. 
submerged in the water. So I, I'm using my. I think that's an, yeah. So I think I'm using my eight I, for this one. I use my eight gallon brew pot, and it's actually a wide. It's not. It's wider than it is taller. Um, I place the water in there, put the stick in there. So sous vide stick basically heats the water and circulates it, so it keeps it exactly at the same temperature pretty much as long as you have it plugged in and on. Um, so what I was able to kettle sour at 118, 118 actually. Is your yeah, I am going to test some temperatures. Uh, that's been my go-to temperature is 118. That's a little bit outside of optimal growth temperature for um, a lot several strains of lactobacillus. But at the same time, it's, it's definitely out of the, the range of several unpleasant Precursors bacteria yes bacteria and and things that can cause off flavor so it actually worked really well um i was down to I actually just boiled it before we came to the studio and i was down i actually combined all four gallons um but i got three point the the uh ph, pH. at the end was 3.4 for the grain um, and then between 3.6 and 3.7 for the, for the different weigh amounts. So anyway, that's cool. Um, I will say if you have a sous vide stick, it's super easy to make yogurt. That yogurt is, the yogurt I made is delicious. We had uh, whole milk left over from the holidays that we didn't use. So I turned it into yogurt. And now I'm obsessed with this beautiful drink called Iron. Iron, which Iron. is a Turkish beverage. It's uh you basically mix equal amounts of yogurt and seltzer. You can use water, but I think seltzer's better. Um, salted, and then you can optionally add a little bit of mint. And I'm addicted to it. That's Super easy to make. It froths up because of the seltzer. I know Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, our uh, our producer <laughs> yeah, our over here, producer. is making a bad face. Listen, I, I know I've been to tons of Middle Eastern restaurants and never ordered this. I see this beverage a lot. There's variations in, in various uh, uh, cultures. But it's She's, I'm totally addictive. I drink a glass of it every night. You are quite the naturally adventurous drinker, <laughs> if I dare say so myself. Uh, but we'll get back to that. What uh, what else? Okay, on? a couple more announcements. So Brew for Autism, which is an absolutely fantastic beer festival with both commercial beers and home brews, that is going to be happening on Staten Island, January 30th, 2016, from 1 to 5 p.m., it is obviously a benefit. Um, they always have some absolutely amazing beers, both commercial and homebrew. You can go to brewforautism.com to get tickets. Um, super great event. I've been in the past. Uh, oh, Chelsea Craft Brewery Brewing Company reopened. Opened for the first time under that name, but have yeah. reopened. They, these are the people behind Chelsea Brewing Company. No longer CPC, now they're CCB. And uh, Mark's Meta, Pat Green, uh, really good friends and, and make some really great beer. They're up on 173rd Street in the Bronx. They have a beautiful, beautiful facility. Yeah, it's a huge Dope. brewery. It, and it, everything goes in a circle. I actually did a video on my Instagram. But you could, do, you could run laps in that brewery. That's how big it is. It's absolutely beautiful. It's just good to see that equipment being used. Uh, the tasting room's great, so please check that out if you get a chance. I also wanted to give a shout-out to our friend Chris Murillo, who we had on episode 105. He is the president of the Astoria, Astoria Distilling Company, who makes Queen's Courage Gin. And they have opened a tasting room slash bar kind of action in Long Island City called Proof Plus Gauge. That's Proof Plus Gauge. And I haven't been. It's on my list to go to. But check it out if you get a chance. One last uh, announcement. I think... New York City Beer Week is happening at the end of February. We're really excited about that. The dates on that are February 19th through February 28th. There's going to be a lot of really fun events. It's worth coming to our fine city and, and linking up. And we look forward to seeing you. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff, including the opening bash, which is going to be on a boat, man. 
should be cool. So if you listen to last week's episode, <laughs> you know that we had Harry Rosenblum from um, Brooklyn Kitchen on, and he's writing a vinegar book. So actually, a listener emailed him, and uh, I thought it was worth reading her email and Harry's response. So Kayla M., from Milwaukee. Thanks for emailing Harry. She says, I really enjoyed your advice on how to make vinegar on the Foment About It podcast this week. And I also love the concept of the Brooklyn Kitchen. I definitely want to take a class the next time I'm in New York. I'm writing because I was wondering if you use a standard ratio of beer to mother per batch for your vinegar. I'm planning on buying a growler from one of the breweries here in Milwaukee, and I'm not sure how much mother to add to this amount of beer. This will be my first time making vinegar, so any advice is much appreciated. Hi, Kayla. Thanks for writing. Please come see us next time you're in New York. The more mother or live vinegar you add, the faster it will start to convert. But at a certain point, you'll be limited by the exposure to oxygen to determine how much bacteria there is and how fast the alcohol converts to acetic acid. To be honest, I usually shoot from the hip and to a 64-ounce growler, I'd probably drink a glass of beer, solid advice, and add 48 ounces of mother or live vinegar. You'll want the level to be below to the neck where the growler is at its widest so that you're maximizing the surface area available to get oxygen to your vinegar. The bacteria will reproduce, and in short order, you should have plenty of bacteria in there working. All the best, Harry Rosenblum of... Brooklyn Kitchen. Brooklyn Kitchen. And... and Right here on Heritage Radio Network. Yes, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> His name is... He, he's not, eat your words. No, it's not eat your words. Feast your Feast ears. Feast your ears. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so we would also like to invite any of you that have questions for any of our guests or for us, please feel free to email us at fummenaboutit at gmail.com or tweet at us, whatever. We're available. And we'd love to hear uh, questions, comments, or concerns from you. Um, I will say the only other thing that Harry didn't say, but I think is worth re- mentioning, is that you don't need to put an airlock or anything. You want this acetobacter or or the vinegar mother to you want oxygen so just put like a either a paper towel that you rubber band on top of the growler or some kind of cheesecloth yeah because you want to keep the fruit flies out but you want to let the oxygen in so something to keep in mind that's right and you can drink vinegar that's fun there are a lot of things you can do with vinegar yeah (laughs) so today's episode welcome to today's episode of met about it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so I'm super excited to have our friend Jeff Cialetti on. So he is of drinkableglobe.com and author of the newly published book, The Year of Drinking Adventurously, 52 Ways to Get Out of Your Comfort Zone. Welcome to Fomet About It, Jeff. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much, guys. We're really, really happy that you've made it. And that you, Where do you live currently? Uh, it's sort of a dark little secret. No, um, I no, uh, moved out of Jersey City about a year ago. Lived down in the D.C. area in Alexandria, Virginia, at the moment. So uh, I kind of shoot back and forth a lot between New York and in D.C. But uh, that's the home base now, and uh, exploring that scene a bit. So it's been fun. Awesome. Yeah, D.C. I mean, that's I guess how I met you here in New York City, yeah. or I feel like maybe it was like at CBC or something, but. Um, it was probably it was, it was in the old Brew York days at the yes. um, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so tell us what is um, Drinkable Globe? What? How'd you get into this whole? Well, it all stems from my my tenure at Beverage World Magazine. I was the editor in chief. I'm sort of like a editor chief emeritus now. I'm the editor at large. I, I stepped down about a year and a half ago to focus on things like this, on, on writing books and doing some other freelance work for some other magazines. Um, you know, Beverage World uh, is largely 
business publication for people in beverage, and I, I felt like I didn't have enough consumer experience, so I've been focusing on a lot of consumer experience, in addition to stuff I still do for Beverage World. But um, And then I, I just sort of had a few book ideas kicking around in my head. Uh, I knew I needed to get them out there, got an agent, ultimately got a book deal. And uh, so I spent, you know, about a year on that book. Um, so the idea behind it, um, basically, we all kind of have this comfort zone that we sort of settle into when we order things. Um, you know, some more than others. I mean, you, you may be an expert in one thing. Like, for instance, you, may, you could be a beer person, but all you ever drink is beer and you don't really venture out of it. Uh, this will get people to sort of venture out of that. Or you could be a whiskey person, you never venture out of that. Why don't you try some beer? Why don't you try some, you know, other types of spirits like cachaca or, uh, you know, fortified wines like port or sherry or, or Madeira, things like that. Uh, you know, mezcal, you know, the you know, which is basically like tequila's cousin, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I just decided, and it sort of stems from my own sort of journey where, you know, before I worked at Beverage World, I've been at Beverage World since, you know, January 2003. Uh, before that, I didn't really care about too much what I drank. I mean, at that point, I was almost drinking cider exclusively. And yeah, cider's having a great renaissance now. Cider's doing amazingly well now. But 2003 cider in America, and I'm not talking about the UK, I'm talking about here. Yeah. 2003 <laughs> cider, it's cloyingly sweet. Um, and eventually I just grew tired of that and then I discovered beer and then I got into beer and, and I was working at beverage world and I started learning about all these other beverages and it's just like, I would just go to a bar and if they didn't have cider, which was most bars at that point didn't have cider, it was usually like the, the British themed bars would, but anything else really wouldn't. I would say, okay, give me a gin and tonic. Now at that time I couldn't tell you what the difference between gin and vodka was you know it was just like oh this is an adult drink i'm out of college now uh i shouldn't be drinking cheap beer <laughs> i should be drinking something that grown-ups drink uh give me a gin and tonic and it was usually you know like crappy gin watered down and it was probably the cheapest thing you can get but you know look cool having a lime in it and i just didn't care so long story short as as i uh, started discovering more beverages professionally, going to trade shows and things like that, I just realized it's like um, I'm sure I wasn't the only person who was that clueless about things, but I was always afraid to find out what exactly everything was uh, what everything was behind the bar what that bottle was, what that bottle was and this was the time that you know craft beer really started taking off, so I started learning more about that, I was going to trade shows, trying that stuff, so uh, several years later I was like, well what about doing something that gets people to try something new, kind of everything you want to know about beverages but are afraid to ask, and do it in the format of a year. Uh, each chapter is a week. There are 52 chapters. Each one's something new to try. The first few chapters focus on different types of whiskey. I go into things like shochu, sake, um, even tiki drinks, things like that. and It's just really... Is almost like a challenge, and I'm hoping people take the challenge. And I've been talking to people, and people have been doing this. 
um, going week to week trying something new. And especially since the year has just begun, yeah. I figured you'd make this the year of drinking adventurously. And I myself have been doing the challenge too, so it's been <laughs> it's been kind of fun. And going back through your your fifty two weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, think- I, didn't, I didn't do any. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I didn't do any of this in order when uh, I did this. Yeah. It was just, but now I am. I finally. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you did you order the book in an order that you recommend for from from Audacity or? Well, the thing Adventure? is, yeah. The weird the weird thing was the book. Um, I shuffled things around a lot doing it. You know, the initial manuscript, it was in one order. And then I realized, okay, some things were tied to certain holidays. Okay, we've got to do it this week. It's roughly when St. Patrick's Day is, so let's do something on Irish whiskey. This week is roughly when Christmas is, so let's do something on Gluevine. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but other than that everything was just kind of random so i did some more research and i shuffle things around and i'm like you know oh did you know that there's a cachaca week or did you know that there's a moonshine week because there's a chapter on moonshine <laughs> so i'm like okay let's make this a little more cohesive a little more of an actual calendar and tie things and then there's a few chapters in there that are just kind of like okay these fit good here seasonally they might work but but i also there are also things in there that are seasonally counterintuitive um for instance I put there's a chapter on Berliner Weiss and um, I put that in November and a lot of people have Berliner Weisses as their summer seasonal or late summer seasonal Um, but I'm like well first of all I like drinking it year round and I can rarely ever find it because everyone's got it as their summer seasonal but the other thing is well when did the Berlin Wall come down that was November I think it was November 9th so that's I was good. like, let's make it that. That's okay, why don't you why don't you toast to that anniversary by <laughs> yeah. drinking drinking the indigenous style of Berlin that barely exists there anymore, but really just exists because of craft beer here in the United States, and so that's kind of why that's there. So the, there's there's definitely some logic to where everything is, um, and some more obvious than others but you know each like i usually kind of preface each chapter it's like a sort of with a like why is this here kind of thing and um you know let's go did you know it's gin week you know that kind of thing (laughs) a drinking diversity manifesto pretty much yeah it's you know and i like to think of it as 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 cross drinking too and that's that's a that's a term that i'm not sure who coined it but julia hers from the brewers association uses it a lot um, it's basically what everybody, well, most drinkers are. We're all cross drinkers. We may identify as beer drinkers, but 70% of us are going to step out of that category from time to time. You're always going to come back to beer, but you want to dabble in some other things once in a while. Sometimes, okay, you know what? Whiskey is basically distilled beer. Let me try some whiskey, you know, and what's the difference between bourbon and scotch? Let me figure that out, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I, wanted, I want people to become more cross-drinkers because that's, that's what I was. Because I was almost ex- like once I discovered beer, probably from 2003 to I would probably say 2010 or 2011, I was almost exclusively drinking beer. And then it was around then that I really started to diversify a bit. And now I don't even so much identify as mostly a beer drinker anymore because I've gotten to this point where I am a cross drinker. I mean, beer is kind of my first love and it always will be. But um, I've been doing a lot more writing on spirits and things. I've been learning more about spirits. I've been visiting a lot more distilleries uh, when I just used to visit breweries. That's all I ever did. But now I'm going to distilleries and 
I'm really sort of enjoying learning about that stuff. And it's, um, it's just, it's been great to be able to diversify and it's, Deliberating. It's, it's as much my journey. Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's as much my journey as it is encouraging people to do that. Because like a lot of this was sort of getting out of my own comfort zone when yeah. I was writing this. Do you feel like it's brought you back to a, to another appreciation of of beer uh, from from the outside world? World, being a guy who rarely cross drinks. No, it, it, it definitely <laughs> has. Should I drink something other than beer? <laughs> it, it definitely has because one of the things that. You know, the types of beers that I gravitate towards now are different than they were 10 years ago. Like, 10 years ago, I was all about the Belgians. You know, it was like, oh, the ABV's got to be 9%. You know, that's what I was going for. Over the years, I've started to gravitate towards some more sessiony stuff, some more classic styles that were kind of, that kind of had their, people turn their noses up. It's like, I'm drinking more more pilsners now than I ever have and to me that was almost like drinking adventurously because okay right. granted there weren't a lot of good pilsners for a while but now it's gotten to the point where brewers it's okay to make pilsners and people were doing a damn good job of it so right. I, I think it's really kind of, when it's kind of brought me back and made me take a second look at styles that I kind of wouldn't give the time of day before right. so that's really what I'm doing now like for instance the whole Berliner Weiss thing I had neglected that style almost intentionally because it was so low ABV. I was like, oh god, this stuff can be under 3%. Is this like, you know, do I want to hide my head in shame if I'm drinking this? <laughs> but it's it's actually, you know, fast forward a few years and it's like, it's actually become probably one of my top five favorite styles at this point. So I, I just I just love it to death and uh, and I think that's that's sort of a path a lot of beer drinkers are on. Um, like when you first get into it, you're sort of obsessed. Like, wow, I didn't know beer could be this strong. I mean, it's a lot. It's like I didn't know beer could taste like this. I didn't know it could taste have this kind of flavor because you know your experience with beer is just mass-produced light lagers. But and then suddenly you need to swing on the pendulum all the way over to wow, this stuff's really strong. Nine percent, bring it on. Ten percent, eleven percent, twelve percent. I'm going to drink this stuff, and then you wouldn't even think like a three or four percent beer. You're not going to drink it, and. So I think it's definitely um, – I, I just think that uh, my mind has broadened in that I'm more open-minded about things that I used to kind of not give the time of day. Right on, on that note, we're going to take a break. So we'll be right back with more Fomega About It. With Jesse Letty of the Year of Drinking Adventures League. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice, and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. 
To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Fire Cider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Fire cider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Fire cider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. Good evening and welcome back to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are here in the studio with Jeff, our friend Jeff Cioletti of the Year of Drinking Adventurously, author, beer buddy, groovy dude, <laughs> driver, traveler, <laughs> journalist from, from the Jers. I went to school in Jersey. Oh, yeah? yeah. Jersey represent, man. Yeah, son. <laughs> what? Best, best, best hot dogs in the world are from New Jersey. That's I don't true. care what anybody says. Yep. Even though they're R- called Texas R-Rutt Wieners, Hutt. they're from... Oh, Rutz Hut. Definitely Rutz Hut. Delicious. But Hot Grill in Clifton, too. Hot Grill does the best, the best uh, chilies, chili sauce all I love the way. Jersey Grills. So, is there um, a Jersey drink? What's the, what is the drink of Jersey? Um, I don't Ooh. know. Jersey tomatoes? Tomato juice? No. no, actually, Applejack brandy, because um, the company... And, and, and Mary, you just had an Applejack brandy I know. I'm cocktail. drinking a, a co- an Applejack brandy-based cocktail right now. From here, Roberta's. Right outside the studio. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, Laird's Applejack, which is sort of the leading brand, or, or actually the best-known brand. I don't know what kind of market share they have. Um, they are headquartered in uh, around Monmouth County, New Jersey. They don't distill there anymore. They used to back in the day, but that's been a family company since about the 18th century. I mean, wow. we're talking like... Um, I'm not sure if it was pre-revolutionary, but it was around revolutionary period, so they were... Um, they've been it's still in the same family. Um, I, I think they're just aging it there, but they're not distilling it there at the moment. Um, but it's very much a Jersey product and very much a Jersey That's brand. So pretty cool and something I did not know. Wow. So, what are your from some of your favorite weeks from the book? Um, I like. Do the, you have a favorite? Well, favorite week? it's you know there, there are definitely some that I'm I'm more into than others. Um, you know, obviously there. You, there are chapters in there that are longer than others, and I spent more sure. time with certain drinks. Excuse me. Um, uh, the Malort chapter, that's always a fun one. What uh, is Malort? It's it, got an umlaut on the O. Yeah, it's it's actually because it's Scandinavian, even though it doesn't come from Scandinavia. It was created by Scandinavian immigrants um, in Chicago. It's a very intensely bitter uh, liqueur. Um made from wormwood but it doesn't taste anything like absinthe it's not like absinthe at all uh it's usually about 70 percent abv um so it's still kind of classified as a liqueur because it's below 40 i think i don't know what the threshold is but i think it's maybe 37 and a half percent is like where the right where it becomes the liqueur threshold is sure um so it's it's actually very very bitter it actually has a real grapefruity kind of taste um, and it's sort of a cult drink in Chicago. It was created during Prohibition as a medicinal alcohol, kind of like you know what medical marijuana is now, where it's right. like let's get it's a, a prescription. I have an ailment. Prescription tonic. 
you know, I'm doing air quotes here, which nobody can see, but um, so it's it's so yeah, it was a prescription thing. This guy Carl Jepson created it, uh, and he was selling it in the Scandinavian community um, as you know, medicinal spirit. Uh, Prohibition ends. He ends up selling it to another distiller based in Chicago, who sort of expanded it and um, pretty much kept it till he died. He willed the trademark to his secretary, who still owns it, and it's not being produced in Chicago anymore. It's actually. Uh, distilled in Florida, but it's really only distributed it's Chicago land and parts other parts of the Midwest, but it's really just concentrated there. And it's sort of a rite of passage, um, sort of like old school locals. You do a shot of malort. Sometimes visitors are visiting them. You got to have your shot. You got to have your shot of malort. And then there's this whole sort of community. Uh, it's actually it was a Flickr page, and I think. It's it's expanded to like Facebook and everything since then, called the Malort face, and it's it's people take a picture of the face that you, you make <laughs> when you drink it, and it I really it. is. It's like various forms of grimacing, <laughs> and um, so it's it's really great. And there's 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 a neat little story in there. I'm not gonna go too much into detail on it, um, but that's week thirty six, by the way. Yeah, it's just it's just such a fun drink. It's hard to drink. It's not easy, and a lot of the a lot of the Chicago mixologists now in the craft cocktail scene, they're incorporating it and making these uniquely Chicago um, cocktails. Usually, for people who really like bitter things, there was one in uh, the West Loop called the Lone Wolf, and they did one. They mixed it with uh, rye and French chartreuse and shots and shots and shots of Angostura bitters and. <laughs> Um, a couple other really bit. Oh, it was oh, and Campari and some other stuff. So every bitter thing you can possibly think, Gosh. they put in this thing. So I had to order it. I mean, it was called the BAF, and you can figure out what that stands for. Um, and it's just insane. I could not finish. Did you? It. Did was it a, served as a shot? No, or, it was an actual. Oh, no, I, it, it was, was a yeah, cocktail. It was a cocktail. Oh my god! Yeah, it was a full on cocktail. I can't remember. I Makes think, you want to have like a shot of, of simple syrup with it, or pretty something. much, yeah. Or you know, have a have a bottle of something with you, you know, like a, a, a Coke syrup Coca-Cola, chaser, yeah. you know, because it was really it was really intense. And then there's another one called Scofflaw, another bar in Chicago called Scofflaw. It's another one of these craft cocktail bars. Their specialty is gin. They've got like fifty or sixty different wow. gins, and they have Malort on tap. They say they go through so much of it, they had to put it on tap. That's insane. And they have the, the tap handles like a wooden bottle. It, it's shaped like a you know shaped. It's a, it's a wood, carved out of wood and it's shaped like a memorial bottle. And um, it's they they go through a lot of it. It's really just this That's Chicago awesome. thing. And you know, for me now, I mean, every time I go to Chicago, I have to have it. It's just sort of it's like going to have a Chicago hot dog for me now. It's like I got to have a. A shot of Malort somewhere. Yeah, that's on my to-do list next time yep. I hit Chicago. So that's definitely the most fun chapter. I, you know, I think there are other chapters. Um, you know, the Tiki chapter I had a lot of fun with because I wasn't much of a Tiki person before, and I just sort of discovered it, and I realize now uh, everything's about context and drinking within context. It's not just about fruity drinks. It's about, you know, you, it's got to sort of be like a divey kind of setting that really takes this stuff seriously sort of with a punk rock vibe that kind of thing and and <laughs> i would have it no other way and so that's that's sort of 
I mean, that's just great sort of exploring that subculture a little bit. Um, I appreciate your nod towards uh, context and of, of drinking and your uh, association with, with the things that surround the drink. I always say that a beer can only taste as good as the people you drink it with. Ex- exactly. You know, and, and, and again, I've gone through my, my sort of snobby periods, I think. Yeah. And I, you know, early on... Um, it was like, oh, I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not By the way, I'm not <laughs> tasting the people I drink it with. But just, just, just well, for clarity. Of, uh, snobby things. Uh, I had a question. Um, sure. This is uh, Rachel Jacobs, the producer. Hi, everybody. Yes. Um, <laughs> so was there anything that you purposefully left out of the book or that just didn't make it in? Well, there were certain things that um, I when I, was, when I was coming down to my final 52, there were a couple of things I had to shuffle out. One of the things that I wanted to include... Uh, and I had already started writing the chapter. I probably gotten half written on it. Was on on Chicha, the uh, you know it's Peru and, and other sort of Latin American countries. It's indigenous too. It's the sort of a fermented corn beverage. Um, and I realized I was writing that chapter late, and I was trying to go to some Peruvian restaurants to see if they had it, um, but they only had the non-alcohol versions. There's, there's an alcohol version, non-alcohol version. I really wanted to focus on the alcohol version. And I said, well, I don't really have time. You know, my deadline was approaching. I don't have time to get to Peru and, you know, and really go to these chicherias where they, where they make it. And it's like, I really feel like I can't do this thing justice. And I decided I had to leave it out. And it's actually going to make it into, uh, which is what's going to be my third book, um, which I'm currently writing. So in that, I do plan to actually get to Peru. To Can you tell us anything about that book? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's fine. I've already got the contract for it. So. Excuse me. The actual the third book is actually called The Drinkable Globe. Oh. Um, it is, in a nutshell, global drinking cultures, every corner of the world. Um, some of, you know... I'm not necessarily going to go to every place, but some places I've already been and a few other ones I'm going to do and just kind of talk about uh, their own indigenous alcohols and sort of the customs and traditions associated with drinking those, how they developed a bit, and basically how they figure into that country's current pop culture. So uh, I'm working on that now. My deadline is December, so it's I've got a ways to go on it. And You've got a world to tackle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I have another book coming out in the interim called Beer FAQ, which is just about beer, and I've already finished the, the manuscript on that and oh, just waiting God. for my changes to get back. But You're just yeah. churning out these books. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all, yeah. I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm you know, through 2017, I'm going to have one I mean, between 2015 and 2017 is only three years, but um, I'm going to have one out every calendar year. So I'm hoping to keep that streak up and awesome. hopefully have something out in 2018 too. And, you know, so it's, it's yeah. So, the, so the Chicha thing will, will find its way. And, and like, there are a couple things, like a lot of like notes here and there. It's like, well, I need to come back to these when I can really do them justice. And I, I think that fits in well with that. And I think that um, having more time, it's really going to be a fun chapter, and I want to kind of actually. And I've never been to Peru, so I kind of yeah. want to go, and it's going to give me an excuse to go. So that's kind of. Well, here's with that in mind. I'm stealing uh, what we talked about over over the break, Rachel. I hope you don't mind. So you you didn't include the chicha because you you didn't haven't been to Peru. How many prisons have you been to to include the Pruno <laughs> the, the Pruno the Pruno chapter? Oh, it's, it's funny. The funny the funny thing is, I'm surprised nobody's really asked me about Pruno yet because that was the one chapter 
I really had to second guess myself on because I'm like, the, the, what really made me want to do it is because I ran into this guy at a, uh, a trade show. It was a wine and spirits wholesaler show, um, and he was marketing this drink that he called Pruno, and he created a, like an LLC called Convict Brands. That's the oh name of it. God. So it just it just intrigued me, and when I was putting together the 52 things, I'm like, well, I got to do something on Pruno, <laughs> and I'm like. Um, so, but I had to, I had to sort of tie it into that legal version because wow. I, I want something people can actually get. And actually the thing doesn't have that much distribution. So it's, people are going to be hard pressed to really find right. it. So that, that may be the one place people stumble on the, on I mean, the if 50- a prisoner can make it, then so can the readers, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm well. not trying to encourage people to, to I mean, it's, it's, I mean, anything, it's a home stay tuned, stay tuned for a further episode of Fumet about it. We hope to do one this season. I so mean, it's like, we'll, you know, we'll you, your, you know, your, your book speed brewing is pretty much how to make disguised. Anything with sugar can be fermented. And that's, that's really it. So, so the, yeah, for everyone who's on a Pruno is basically just prison hooch that, um, I don't know if anyone wants oranges and new black, but, uh, the character Pousset she was making it like she hit it up in the ceiling tile, and at one point she was burying it in the backyard. But it's just usually <laughs> whatever you get your hands on carrots. Uh, usually you just you smuggle things from the commissary. Uh, you know, car- oranges, ketchup, ketchup, ca- ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. Fruit cocktail, can Sour- fruit sauerkraut cocktail. too. People even Ooh, do sauerkraut, gummy bears, which kind of already has its sort of kickstarted because it's already been Switch fermented. Fish. So we've been we'll we'll talk about this more in a later <laughs> episode. But we've, we've been talking about doing a. A Pruno prison wine sure. brew off between Rachel, me, and, and Kuzma, and whoever else that's listening out there that wants to wants to face us. But uh, right, get out your toilet bowl fermenters. We're doing this. <laughs> but do you win if it's the least drinkable or the most drinkable? <laughs> yeah, well, we right. have two prizes. Two prizes. Authenticity or palatability? <laughs> I mean, you know, the the thing is that the the commercial version really it, it's. You know, when it all comes down to it, it's really just a flavored vodka. I mean, that's kind of... <laughs> that's the safe way to go. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask, what are your favorite places? I mean, you travel all over the place, but I want to ask you specifically some of your favorite New York City places. So I am one who's guilty of mostly sticking with beer. I do actually venture outside of the beer box um, a decent amount. Um but I want to hear some of your favorite New York City recommendations. I mean, th- there's nothing wrong. I mean, I don't want people to think that they need to, like... No, but I think it's good yeah. because we all get in our comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. That we cook the same things or we go to the same restaurants or we drink the same beverages. And it's always good to... Like, I never thought I would be drinking salted yogurt beverage every mm-hmm. night. And I love it. I still don't so, think you should be. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> so, anyway. I, I mean, it's, I'm dying to know your wreck. Well, okay. So, you know, obviously, you know, an obvious one is Jimmy's. we got to give Jimmy a shout out. And uh, Jimmy's number 43. Definitely. That's my comfort zone, though. Yeah. That, that, well, it's, you know. But since <laughs> but, since I've moved, it's sort of like, it's, I don't get here as much. Yeah, so, it's like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess it is sort of like my comfort zone. It feels also, like Also, he has had it. He's added a liquor, actually, oh, in the yeah, last year. Oh, yeah. So, it was actually, that is outside my comfort zone. He was zone. part of my original when I, we did my launch bar crawl we did it there and that was actually the first time I had been there since he's had the liquor yeah. license so it was actually great um, and he's focusing on like artisanal spirits too which is really cool um, you know it, obviously um, I mentioned Tiki so Otto Shrunken Head is is just become pretty much iconic I mean I think it's like as far as east coast Tiki bars go I mean there aren't really that many but I think that's really the place uh, to go and that's been featured on like 
Anthony Bourdain's show and everything like that. He drinks there. I have never been there though. It's so great. It's, it's on my to do. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. Um, and it does, like I said, it has that sort of punk rock vibe, um, punk rock rockabilly kind of thing going on, and they really do keep it real. They've got like a, a music venue in the back, so they have bands and stuff. So it's 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 just so much fun, and and uh, it's it's like hardcore tiki because there there are places that call themselves tiki bars, but just because you're if you're on a beach. And you're on a boardwalk and you sell a couple of, like, fruity drinks. It doesn't make you a tiki bar. Right. It's just like, <laughs> you know, you really have to be into the whole culture. And it really is, it is like a culture. It's really, and it's it's sort of a made-up culture, too, because it doesn't really, even though it's inspired by Polynesia and, and Hawaii and everything like that, it really began in California, the whole... It's like Tex-Mex, kind of. Pretty it's much, yeah. It's own, you know, take, American take on yeah, Polynesian it, culture. Exactly. Um, Whiskey Brooklyn for whiskey, which is actually pretty much right next door to the Brooklyn Brewery. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been there before. That's a great... They have, they have an upstairs yeah. and a downstairs. It's pretty cool. Um, Sanctuary Tea. I recently did an event there. That's yes. a fun... Which I went to. It was great. Yeah, no, it was great. And, and the, the mixologist there, Ben Perret, is amazing. So he... Um, he kind of went all out. I said, uh, let's do an event because, you know, I consulted with him on certain things in the book and... I, and I said, here, here's the table of contents. Is, if there, is there anything that you want to sort of make from this? And he comes back with all these ideas. It's like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do flights of seven or three or five. And it was just like, so that place is great. And they've got great food, too. Their, their meatballs are amazing. Um, let's see. What else? Flatiron Room. You want to go for that. Uh, you know, it's. I wouldn't call it a... It has sort of a speakeasy vibe, but it's not so much like the speakeasies like you think of, like having to have a password and all that stuff. It's just sort of got that... 20s and 30s era feel about it they've got some live music and uh it's a really really sort of classy bar and similar to that uh the brandy library oh yeah down in, in tribeca definitely great place to be um you know these are places if you want to spend a little more money they're not the cheapest places to go um but very distinctive fascinating places that you can learn something and drink really well. yeah exactly exactly and the thing that i love the most about it especially the Brandy Library is how quiet it is. Yeah. I mean, the place can be packed, but everybody's just sort of sitting down and speaking in lower tones. Nobody's getting rowdy. And that's just, sometimes you just need that. I yeah. mean, sometimes I, I, I always need that, but I mean, it's <laughs> kind of, so that, that's one of my favorite places. And then let's see, have I done much out in the outer boroughs? You know, obviously we should give a shout out to Roberta's. Roberta's is great. Yeah. Uh, For cocktails, uh, wine, cider, and Yeah, they, they, do, they do, they do a little of everything. They do, yeah. they have a great cocktail program here. Um, you know, I would say, um, the, um, I already, I said Whiskey Brooklyn, so that, that counts as an outer barrel. Um, but let's cross the river into Jersey because I lived in Jersey yep. City. Um, you know, there's a barcade there, but there's a barcade in practically every borough now. <laughs> um, That's true. Uh, well, two boroughs here, but then, but anyway, um, there's a new place that opened up since I moved that... It's called South House, which is a southern restaurant that has an amazing, amazing cocktail program. And the, the, the bartenders there are really creative, and they really like to experiment. You, know, you sit at the bar. like the, When I was there, the guy was like, you feel like being a guinea pig? And I was like, yeah. you know. And so he's like, I'm, there's something I want to try. I'm entering this in a cocktail contest. I want you to try this. And it was sort of like that. So, so that place is great. I just I absolutely love it. Um, and we cover any other beverages? I didn't really mention... Um, let's see, we did whiskey Brooklyn, we did whiskey, uh, 
Yeah, I think I pretty much hit most of my... Oh, Maysville. Maysville is actually right by the Flatiron Room. Okay. And I like Maysville because they open earlier than the Flatiron Room. So if, if I can't get into the Flatiron Room yet, I'll usually sit at Maysville. And they've got a sprawling whiskey list. So that's, that's awesome. just fantastic. So. All right, we have to wrap it up. But Where can we get your book? Yes, that's true. The mm. Year of Drinking... Adventurously. Oh, um, well, you can get it all anywhere you can buy books online, uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you get it all, like, independent bookstores. Um, oh, yeah, and also uh, I've got a couple of uh, upcoming appearances. Event. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So, yeah, so get the book anywhere. You know, Amazon is probably the easiest place to get it, but uh, support your local indie bookstore definitely if you have that option and, and get it there. And if they don't have it, tell them to carry it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but I've got a couple of uh, signings coming up that I want to kind of mention. I mean, none of them are around here. But uh, folks, if anyone's listening in Nashville, I'm going to be in Nashville this Thursday. I will be signing at the Corsair Distillery Ooh. from 5 to 7. Uh, you know, Derek Bell, who, who founded Corsair, he's, awesome. he's in the book a few times. You know, we've worked together on stuff. So he's, he's great, and um, I'm thrilled to be doing something there. And then on the 24th, that's a Sunday, right? Yeah, the 24th. I will be in Charleston, South Carolina at one of my other like favorite bars in the country, which is the Gin Joint. Um, just as it sounds, it's kind of like a speakeasy thing, but um, but I contacted them and they're thrilled to be doing a, a signing, so awesome. I'm looking forward to that. And that's on, on Sunday the 24th. And um, I think that's it for now. I mean, well, you can check out drinkableglobe.com. Drinkableglobe.com. To keep up with Jeff. You also have a Facebook page. Yeah, and then you follow me. I'm, I'm just at Jeff Cialetti or at Drinkable Globe. I have two Facebook accounts. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to. And work. Twitter, too. Uh, that's, tw- that's Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> tw- I'm getting my social medias mixed up. But yes, two Twitter accounts uh, at Jeff Cialetti, at Drinkable Globe. Uh, and on Facebook, I'm Drinkable Globe. And. Uh, Instagram, I'm drinking adventurously. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. We got to wrap up, but we look forward to being back next Monday with more for men about it. For men about it. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 non-profit to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening, listening. Battle with no winners, war with no